It doesn't matter what I said this to Andy. It doesn't matter what I do. I feel guilty. Uh, we kind of we survived through COVID and we were able to help so many people, but we also burnt out through that process. And so, how do you thrive through motherhood? How do you cope when all of the support falls away? Your partner goes back to work. In the modern Western society, we don't have that collective. We don't watch women breastfeed. That's just not normal. Jessica Prescott and Vaughan Geary are the founders of Mama Goodness, a business dedicated to nourishing and nurturing mothers. They're also the authors of Life After Birth, a new postpartum Bible published by Hardy Grant. Having launched Mama Goodness just before the pandemic, they learned about the intensity of small business fast. Working so closely together, the pair are like sisters, and I cannot believe they haven't known each other since kinder. They're that tight. Here, we talk running a business through a pandemic, writing a book together, and what they've learned from each other along the way, both as friends and business owners. Jess also shares her different experiences as both the primary and secondary caregiver, and Vaughan, who's yet to have her own children, talks about the importance of a village and of breaking down those barriers between mother and maiden. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here are the brilliant brains behind Mama Goodness and Life After Birth, Jessica Prescott and Vaughan Geary. Can I go first? You go first. Okay, um, so <laughs> my name is Jess Prescott. I am the co-owner of Mama Goodness with Vaughan. I'm a mum of two boys. I have written three cookbooks and most recently another book that Vaughan and I wrote together. I'm a postpartum doula. I'm a photographer. Um, what else? Entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Badass. Um, a manifesting generator, which means I need lots of different things on the go all the time. Great. <laughs> Would you like me to introduce yeah. you? I'm Vaughn. I'm a manifesting generator as well. Um, hence why this madness happens between us and the beauty. Um, I am a doula, both birth and postpartum. At the moment, not doing as much birth while we've been creating our amazing book together. Um, I'm a qualified clinical naturopath as well. So I practice online with a lot of women's health, preconception through pregnancy and into the postpartum. And I've just written my first book with wifey here, hmm. um, which is a culmination of everything, all of our passions, parenthood, doula work, naturopathy combined into one. Unbelievable. So you just have a bit going on. So what came before Mama Goodness for both of you career-wise? Was it your other vocations and passions that led you to this or were you doing something quite different 10 years ago? So I feel like when I had the idea to start Mama Goodness, it was everything I've ever done led to that point. So Years and years and years ago, I was in finance jobs, which is hilarious if you know me because I can't even keep my I own. I can't even picture that and I hardly know you, no. but I feel like I do. Yeah. I ha I was fortunate to have some really wonderful bosses who just, yeah, loved having me <laughs> looking after their finances. Um, but then I moved to Berlin and I had Louis there, my firstborn. And since then, so for over seven years now, I've been self-employed. So I wrote cookbooks, um, did work, you know, styling and like food, food stuff basically. Um, and the, I, when Vaughn and I decided to start Mama Goodness together, it just felt like all of my experience with food and all of my experience with being a mum twice by that point, because I'd had Jude, it just felt, it felt like the most natural thing in the world to be starting Mama Goodness. Mm -hmm. It felt like the natural next step. And what about you, Vaughn? What were you up to before Mama Goodness came to be? I was a professional student. <laughs> I, <laughs> I spent probably the good part of a decade, if not slightly more. I'd studied journalism, hated it, some health issues of my own and just a really big passion for holistic health and nutrition led me into naturopathy. And while I was doing that, I hated the science. And so I delved into another passion, which was potentially midwifery, but I didn't want to be studying another degree. So I kind of met in the middle and studied doula work um, and became a doula. And as I was, yeah, I didn't realize that they would all come together. I was just mm -hmm. sort of picking and choosing my passions. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm loving reproductive health, um, women's naturopathy. And in my sort of final year, um, met 
and connected with Jess. And I had loved the um, the business model of Mother Bees over in America and sort of had this business idea and then met Jess and she had such a similar business idea and we just kind of put our, yes, skills. We were like, we have to do it together. together yeah. It makes so much sense as you're saying. I'm like, yeah, how could you yeah. not ever open to Mama Goodness, which is the perfect lead into the business. As I said to you before we started recording, I just thought you'd been around for ages because you had such a strong brand presence. And I thought it was just because that was the phase my friends were entering in terms of needing postpartum treats and meals and whatnot. But can you tell us a bit about, Mama Goodness, you opened in 2019, just before COVID. Yeah, just before COVID just and before. just before Vaughn broke her ankle. <laughs> oh, that's always fun too. Just sort of, Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three months before. So, yeah, we decided to wait until Vaughn had finished her degree and gone to Japan. Yeah. And we'd sort of been meeting, we, we were meeting every week and... Yeah, then then COVID hit mm. and we just kind of, we had two choices. We could, It was really hard to get stuff, like getting lasagna sheets, getting passata, all these things we need was so hard mm. to find. And I wanted to stop. I, little did I know how long we were going to be in lockdown for, mm. but I was like, well, let's just pause this until things are easier. And she was like, no, we have to keep going. And I feel like we were one of the very few businesses that really benefited from COVID mm. because people couldn't take food to their families. Or, yeah, I mean, they could. It, it was under the um, guise of care. Mm. Um, but people were scared. People were scared was, to leave mm. the yeah. in a bubble. And also, I, I mean, it's, there was no interstate travel, no international travel. So we had a lot of people who had very little support. Mm. And food was one of the ways that people could support each other. So we filled a void in a time where people were feeling really adrift. Uh, and I think that was really good for the business. Totally. Um, it wasn't yeah. necessarily good for us, though. Um, and so we, we oh. worked ourselves into the yeah. It's And, like, it's such a big thing. Cooking and meal prepping just on its own is huge, huge. let alone doing it to the scale that you have been and yeah. living your lives outside of that. 80 litres of soup is not my idea of a fun <laughs> you know? No. Three litres on someone's <laughs> stove in their home, great. But yeah. 80 litres in a commercial kitchen, no. I just don't yeah. enjoy it. Um, yeah. But, you know, we learned that the the long, the long hard way. way. We did have a chef for a while and that was amazing. Mm. Um, had kitchen hands and yeah, a few other people um, helping us out along the way. But it just, with, with our business growing as well, we then had to take on more and more um, you know, leases, we, we ended up hiring our own kitchen and sharing it with another business. And that in itself comes with a whole heap of responsibility and logistics and yeah, just the sheer volume of that. We kind of, we survived through COVID and we were able to help so many people, but we also burnt out through that process. Mm. And I guess it was such a beautiful time for you to be able to do that because I think it was a way that people could feel like they were caring for family or loved ones that they otherwise couldn't have cared for in the same mm. way, but then it probably pivoted I guess your business and I hate that word I was actually just laughing about corporate yagen this morning with my friends so I hate myself for saying pivoted but yeah. you did you stopped doing the home meals yeah. about the end of last year I believe end of last yeah. year yeah. and it's funny because in hindsight I think you know the 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 work in COVID like the intensity of running a business like Mama Goodness it was only sustainable for us because we didn't have lives outside, Mama Goodness. No mm. one, everyone was at home. But once the world opened back up and we had social lives and, you know, could do other jobs, mm, it just, yeah. it just hey, not sustainable for our, our nervous systems. That's so interesting. You wouldn't have even, you hadn't lived through the reality of like a normal totally. life. And it was hard then, you know, like it was a lot. Once the world opened back up, oh my goodness, we just, between the book, mm. the world opening back up and running a business where yeah. we've got a huge rent overhead, mm. last year just fried us both. So mm. that's when we made the decision in October to stop the food. Um, and it was just, it, it looks like a silly decision, I think, to the outside, but it felt like the right decision for both of us. And so, so that's the most important thing. And we just had a conversation before we started recording this. It's like, our nervous system yeah are transformed it's so good and we we're I guess we're very smart that we actually had the other side of the business which was always um our lactation teas, cookies and teas. granola we've created mm. you know a range of teas and skincare and we want to grow that so mm. we to transition from the food and do something that's a bit more wholesale based getting stockists and going bigger and broader hopefully Australia wide and then overseas is mm. fun. And it awesome. is sad because I know how much people relied on our meals and I know how much people loved our meals, but 
that can't be enough to keep you going when you're as fried as we were. I just, what Juan and I were talking about earlier is like every weekend it would be like, oh, have we sold enough packs? Oh, okay, we've got to get on the socials. Got to remind people to buy us stuff. There's all this like, how many packs have we sold? Mm. I didn't really, when you're in it, when you're on the hamster wheel, you don't realize how intense it is. And then you hop off the hamster wheel and you're like, oh, how did I do that? Yeah. And I think too, it got to points last year where I've got so many friends around me that work in more corporate roles and they get to enjoy their weekends. And, and they, they get and public in, holidays. They get public holiday. They get paid big dollars to go mm. and do their job very well. But once that five o'clock mark and the clock rings, it's like they get to tap out. They get to have that time with their family and their friends and do what they want and get to travel outside of that. Whereas they get paid holidays. Yeah. They get <laughs> sick pay. We never mm. even, we luckily never were very, very, we both had COVID and mm. had to take time off then. But luckily neither of us were ever sick enough to not be able to go no. to work because we would have been screwed. Also, I imagine you're both really creative people, obviously. So it wouldn't have given you any time for that creativity. Oh, that was no. a huge one for me. It took away all my joy for cooking because, you know, Monday and Tuesday, it was such a hard slog. And then I'd be cooking for my jeweler clients as well, which I loved, but there was no room outside that for any creative. Mm. Like I wasn't sharing recipes on Instagram, which is one of the mm. reasons people follow me. Um, I wasn't really enjoying cooking at home for the family. Uh, and cooking is such a big part of my identity mm. and what brings me so much joy. So it was interesting to reflect on that. So then you just recently launched a very beautiful looking book that I cannot wait to get my hands on called Life After Birth. Before you actually tell us about the contents of it, what was it like to write a book together? That's a pretty big thing. We just had to have a bit of structure. So Vaughn is a very, very busy person. <laughs> she has a, um, not a, what's a good word to describe your social life? A uh, I can, I can active social life, active social life, but I can, my brain has always worked this way. I don't know if it's the manifesting generator or just the way I've been brought up, but I have lots of different friendship groups, but I split myself. A lot of friends have even been like, how do you do so many things in a day? And it's like, <laughs> it kind of comes naturally, but I also do fall in a heap sometimes. She doesn't mm-hmm. much, so. Sometimes I look at what she's doing in a day and I'm like, oh dear. But um, <laughs> so we had to, we had to block out weekends. So what we sort of did is we sort of delegated, like we we knew what we wanted to write about. So that was the first thing, like coming up with, okay, what is this book going to look like? What's mm. going to be in the book? And then there's areas where I'm the authority on that and there's areas where well, you're you the authority. Breastfed, so you did else. that and I did the whole mm. herbal part and then we would get together and get it was about the continuity of the language and how it sounded. And So we'd sort of draft it alone and then come together and finesse it and make it all sound like one voice. And there was never, like in the end, the whole book is both of us because I'd write something and Vaughn would be like, oh, maybe we should change this word to that word. And mm. I'd be like, oh no, why don't you do this? And, and there's no ego in our relationship. So there's never, you know, I would never get my back up because Vaughn suggests I change something and vice versa. We just, we've got such a beautiful, we're so lucky. Aren't we? yeah. um, you seem like sisters to me. Yeah. I can't believe you only met a few years before your business opened. I assumed you'd known each other for 15 years. Oh, uh, well, we've never yeah. had sisters. So yeah. I guess we kind of leaned into yeah. that. Yeah. Comfort. And like, when you run a business with someone as well, you literally, I've, I have a partner, but you have a husband and you obviously share that, but it's a difference. We literally have had more leases together. Yeah. Well, more John joke that um, she shared a bank account with me before she shared a bank account with the partner, yeah. you know, like, um, but you know, I think it also comes down to um, our energies are very complimentary, I think. And we're just so lucky. Um, yeah. I think I was thinking a lot about what would be challenging about writing a book with someone, but I've just realized as well how many benefits there must have been in having someone to bounce off. So then what's the book actually about for anyone that hasn't heard of Life After Birth? So I've got a copy of it here to show you. So it's basically it's a postpartum Bible. So everything you need to know from while you're pregnant, what you need to buy, there's a bit of a fuck you to the commodification of motherhood. Like you don't need all the gadgets. You just need these things conversations to have with your partner we speak about leaning into your intuition learning how to surrender how to set healthy boundaries all of that kind of stuff and then there's a chapter on breastfeeding it's not a comprehensive chapter because there's no way that you know you need a whole book for that but Mm. it's really beautiful um timeline of what to expect so it's like from while you're pregnant to after you have your baby 
it's a little timeline of what happens with your boobs and your milk and stuff like that. That's really clever because I don't think, I think I sort of learned on the job and I was sort of lucky yeah, that it worked out uh, yeah, for me, no. but if it didn't. I think people will read it, but then I like to think that they'll be able to refer back to it once their baby's here as well. Like read it while you're pregnant and then refer back once your baby's here. And, and it's then, very much prefacing it that it's for the mother. It's not yeah, for the baby. So that's what we kept coming back to when we were writing it because we could have easily gone on a big tangent and made it about the baby, but this book is about the mum. It's how to care mm. for the mum how to help mothers thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, So then after the breastfeeding chapter, there's a chapter called the fourth trimester. And that's all about, okay, now your baby is here. What the fuck? Um, (laughs) Literally what the fuck? Adrenal cesarean birth. Have you got hemorrhoids? All of that stuff. We talk about night sweats. We talk about how long you'll bleed. We talk about hair loss, all of that kind of stuff. All the mood, mental health. Um, what happens if your baby has to go to NICU or if you are a single parent, how to create community, get support build you know that village around you born's done this thing where she's told you all the blood tests you need to ask for when you go to your six-week checkup because so many gps over i didn't get any blood tests at my six-week checkup think about how much blood we lose you know Mm. we um and then she's got this whole thing on all the different nutrients why they're important what food you can get them in and then there's a chapter on postpartum is forever so postpartum isn't just that first Six, six weeks. weeks or three months, it's mm. forever. And so how do you thrive through motherhood? How do you cope when all of the support falls away, your partner goes back to work? We actually have a list in here for partners. So um, what to do while you've got time off work, if you have time off work, and then what mm. to do when you go back to work, things you can do to support the person staying at home with the baby. Um, and then periods after birth. Yeah, um, after parenting birth. on a period sex is a big one. Mm. Um mm. And then there's recipes and there's only 30 recipes. And I think a lot of people probably expected this to be a cookbook because I've written cookbooks in the past, but we didn't have space for more than (laughs) They're all very simple. And it's stuff that we sort of, there's quite a few postpartum cookbooks or um, resources out there. And we didn't want to be recreating what's already out there. We wanted to share some recipes that people might not have thought of so that they've got lots of different recipes mm-hmm. that they think of. So there's only 30, but they're all really solid and they're great. And there's some herbal recipes and, in there as well. Cheese oh yeah, and or, um, herbal sits, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. I um, think 30 recipes is actually smart because I was, I did like a full, I was really lucky. I got a great big voucher from literally all of my girlfriends um, to get like a one month package, like a golden month package yeah. so it's all the food delivery and my husband would be like okay what do you want to know I'd be like literally whatever I can put in my mouth I don't care like just yeah. eat something yeah. up so I think actually yeah. having 30 is great because there's less choice because you're so overwhelmed yeah. in that time it's like just nourish me I actually don't really care what we mm. and um my uh friend who works in cookbook publishing told me that the average number of recipes someone cooks out of a cookbook is three. Oh. Mm. so you know <laughs> isn't that amazing 10 of what's in here will be cooked by each but I, I like to think it'll be more, but, um, and most of them are vegetarian, but we've got options to, you know, if you want to add meat, like if you want to sort the lentils for minced meat, or if you want to sort the tofu for chicken, mm. we've made little notes about that. Um, because I'm vegetarian born eats meat. So we've got two, two recipes, two one with, one with chicken, one with salmon, but the rest are all vego. But there's also like make the risotto with chicken broth if you want to, um, yeah, well, we've actually found with all of the mums that we support that a lot of them don't want meat after they've had a baby because it makes mm-hmm. them a bit fucked up and everyone needs fibre. And you need to be eating, is it 30 or 40 different plants per week to keep your gut health? Like 38. 38. 38. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to be um, precise, I love that. So, you know, it's really important to be eating enough plants. Mm. And it's just a really great, like it's a very modern book on parenthood like nothing really like this has come out in years the closest one would be hang hours the first 40 days which is incredible but it's from we a love that book. It's traditional chinese medicine lens and mm. it's like australian based it looks at sort of our systems but from a very modern lens which is amazing this also goes beyond the first 40 days which i think makes it stand out from any of the other books that are out mm. there they are all focused on that immediate time after birth and i mm. love 40 days it's such a beautiful book it's so beautifully written. Mm. Um, so we like to think that this complements it rather than competes with it. I love that too, because I actually thought I found the first 40 days, I think, easier than the 40 that came after that, mm-hmm. because yeah, I think you're in totally. this sort of 
love bubble and you're allowed to be slow yeah. and yeah. You, know, you expect it to be really hard at the start, but then mm-hmm. after 40 days, you're like, oh, actually, no, this is going to be pretty challenging forever. And I've, I've lost that adrenaline. Totally. Yeah. Your help slides away. Partners and other people have sort of gone back to work and they're not checking in as much. And like as a naturopath, that's when I see people the most. It's like they're six mm-hmm. months yeah. six and months. they're exhausted. Yeah. And your baby might be sleeping more, but and you're like, why am I so tired? And you're yeah. like, oh, my whole world's my been wrong since I got pregnant. Yeah. 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 Right. That's amazing. So I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people that you would follow and that follow your work, love the idea of publishing a book. What would be your greatest tips for getting it done? Well, I think the most important thing if you want to publish a book is you need to have a unique selling point. Mm. So even if you've got the best recipes or the best idea, a publisher or the sales team at a publishing house want to know what is going to make this book sell. What is the USP? Mm. And so that is you've got to have a unique selling point. That's the first thing. And then also, unfortunately, these days, most publishers need you to have a, a, a social media presence. Mm, I've heard that actually from another guest I interviewed. She's written a book and they said, but you need to become more of an influencer on the yeah. website, actually. Um, and or you need to be known in your community. So, you know, we had Mama Goodness. Um, it might be that you own a really successful restaurant and you don't have any Instagram followers, but people know your restaurant. You know, there needs to be Fine. a thing yeah. about you that people know that mm. media tap into. And yeah, it's it's sad. I think there's so many great book ideas out there that probably don't get picked up because mm. the yeah. algorithm, <laughs> baby, it just gets <laughs> That bloody algorithm, it's yeah. ruined our lives. <laughs> so Vaughn, you put up a really interesting Instagram post recently, which said mother is a verb. If you do the verb, you become the noun. Can you go a bit deeper into this for us? Yeah, well, I guess I sit in a very unique position in motherhood. Like I work with a mother, all of my clients, or majority of them are mothers. I step into the homes of people as they're becoming parents and then afterwards. So I kind of witness it all, but I still see collectively and have had some experiences with friends and people I know of sort of, they become a mother and then there's this sort of wall that goes up and you're not invited into their home as much or there's kind of a divide and it's an us and a them. And I think there's a very huge societal, I've felt it myself, even as a doula, I've sort of been like, oh, I'm not part of the club. You know, I'm not a mum. I haven't birthed. And some mums do very much act that way. You know, it's like until you're here, you're not going to know. But mm. in our society and in our community, especially in the modern Western society, we don't have that collective. We don't watch women breastfeed. It's just not normal. So A, before people become mothers, they're not aware of what's going to happen once you cross the threshold. Um, And once you do, you're kind of swimming. And it is, everyone jokes about it and laughs about it, how it's like, oh, my God, you've crossed the threshold of hell. Um, (laughs) I didn't know what was was happening. Mm. There's no mental health concerns. So it's really about trying to bridge, you know, the gap and shorten that divide between mothers who actually have babes in arms and people who aren't mothers, whether that's their decision to not have children, whether or not they can't have children, whether or not they are maidens at the moment, like myself, who want to have babies. But, you know, Jess and I talk about it. I have the time. I'm, you know, I have free time on weekends. I keep myself busy, but I'm always available for my friends and Mm. offer that support. And sometimes also wish that they would invite me in more. I have friends who a lot of us grew up um, in Queensland and now we all live down here and I've sort of offered, let me come over and look after the kids or whatever. And they never take you up on it. But when their family comes to town for like a really like short amount of time, they then go out on 10 dates and it's like, Oh, like I am here. Like just reach out to me and invite me in because I would love to be part of that daily life. And I think that's something that Jess and her husband, Andy have done so well. Like I I have a key to their front door. Like I literally just let myself in and the kids know me. They almost like I walk past and they just ignore me now because I'm such a part of the furniture. (laughs) Um, But I've seen it all and it's like, whoa, I'm so lucky. And I know like so many people say that they're like, wow, you're going to know so much and I'm going to have to probably undo a lot because I've seen so many parenting outcomes, birth outcomes, but there just needs to be this collective joining of family life whether that's before or after and inviting people in because you don't have to have given birth to a baby to be a mother you know I have incredible people in my life 
like my brother's godmom, who's basically my own godmother, she never had kids and she is just the most wonderful auntie. She's so involved in life and she can step up to that because she has the means. Like she hasn't financially had to sort of support an entire family. She has so much more time that she has that ability and how wonderful to have different personalities, different abilities step into your home and help you out because we struggle so much as, you know, we have all the technology and healthcare is supposedly, you know, science is as far as we can progress at the moment, but people are lonelier, they have more mental health concerns, they're sicker. Yeah, it's just in general, society is really struggling. And I think we need to lean on the fact of everyone can mother. It's going to be, it is so interesting as well, how much you know before going through it yourself. That will be so interesting in terms of the learnings and unlearnings of that. So you've also obviously watched Jess as a working parent for some time now. What have been the sort of key takeaways, the things that amaze you, the things that you see that are challenging and that she overcomes? What have been your key takeaways for seeing someone do it before before you? I've seen it all. I'm really <laughs> glad for one that she's not going to have babies while we're running, Mama goodness, the way we were no. running. I just... Like I take my absolute hat off to like we were going literally into a pandemic so you mm-hmm. had no one else around you. Like I literally, we say it too about Jess's husband, I was the only person that he would see because he was like at home studying, yeah. couldn't go and work as a hairdresser. That's what he was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing Jess and all that she did, like you were kind of, you've slipped into being that yeah. primary breadwinner over that time, but you were working like two full-time jobs. Yeah. And I've seen a statistic on Instagram. I think there was something going around a few weeks or months ago about how much the value of mothers actually do when you are working, mm-hmm. plus then coming home and the mental load and the physical load of raising children. It's worth like $250,000. Yeah. Mm, I saw that stat too. It's insane. Absolutely. So it's like, wow, just witnessing that. And I guess the intimacy in which I am here in these guys' homes, I see it all. I see the early mornings, sometimes the late nights, the meltdowns, the incredible, beautiful, you know, connection and tenderness and the way that Jess and Andy parent is like, blows my mind. It's something that I will take with me into parenthood. Hope to to emulate myself, but it's like, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot and it's, it's incredible. I feel very honored to, but working mothers, working parents, just I take my absolute hat off to them they do so much and it's so undervalued it's so unspoken of it's just silent work that happens and also it's really interesting hearing you say that coming back to the question before it's like Jess and you have broken down that barrier of mother and maiden and it's allowed Mm. you to step in and support and also learn before you go through the journey which is so important for all of us I think also parents and particularly mothers in heterosexual relationships we're very hard on ourselves Mm. what would you not to make you cry again Jess hopefully you don't cry but if you do beautiful love it Um, what would you tell Jess if you're trying to lift her up if there's ever any moments where she's doubting herself what would you want to tell her in those moments stop your fucking whinging (laughs) you chose this (laughs) I think you've been able to finally recognize this yourself but I think I watch you and a lot of your close friends around you. You're just such a community builder. And I think you need to always lean back on the fact that in times when you may feel overwhelmed or swamped by it all, it's like look around you at the people that you have invited into your life because you are so welcoming and you acknowledge and you recognize that you need a village. And one of your dearest friends is a single mum who does it all by herself and it's like you guys have created this family between you two and yeah she comes over and feeds the cat and you drop each other's children off and it's like witnessing that's incredible and I think it's like you should be so proud of who you've culminated in your life and I've seen um we call each other donkey by the way because (laughs) I thought you said punky (laughs) donkey donkey because we used to just carry so much shit and lug it about for mama goodness. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, I've seen Jess's welcome back just before I met Jess, she just moved back from Berlin. And so coming back to somewhere that Andy had grown up and you guys had created a life before having children, the whole landscape had changed when you came back mm-hmm. busy, friends that you thought would, you know, step up and be there for you as parents 
not necessarily were. Everyone, people change over time, as did you Everyone guys, I'm lives sure. Further you know? away because yeah. no one can afford to live in North yes. Yes. Carlton yeah. anymore. <laughs> the whole landscape had changed. So mm. you had to re- literally rebuild everything mm. from the ground up. So, so it's yeah. always about coming back to your community and knowing that you can lean on them in those mm. really hard times. Although I still never ask anyone to babysit. I just can't. Why do we do that? We get the guilt. I even get the guilt of grandparents. I I don't know what it is. We've only got one set of grandparents here because mine are in New Zealand. My parents are in New Zealand. And, you know, we only ever ask Andy's parents if we really need them. Mm. Um, Otherwise, Andy and I just tag team. Yeah, which is hard too because then you don't actually get that time out of the house together. You don't date the way you used to. So it's really challenging. But. Hopefully with time we all just get better at this community yeah. building and actually leaning on people, which I feel like has been a lot of what you've talked about in those last few questions, Vaughn, so I love that. Yeah. Jess, if you could give one piece of advice to Vaughn on in the future navigating parenting and career, what would it be? Mm. Don't run a food delivery business. <laughs> <laughs> During a pandemic with two kids. And don't try and do more than one thing in one day. <laughs> I don't think either of you are ever going to follow that advice from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's it. And also call me. Move in with me, please. I keep I make this joke that <laughs> I really want her to have a baby and live with me so I can raise the baby with her. Because <laughs> I really want another baby, but we can't afford it. And it's so sad that bringing a child into the world or not ends up being a financial decision rather mm. than a one because I would definitely mm. have one if I could. So I make this joke that I want Vaughn to move in with me so that I can just help her raise her baby. <laughs> I love that. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. No, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, my partner only wants two kids. And I was like, I'd love three. And I was, he said, but what if we have like, you know, twins on the third go? And I was like, well, just yeah. have that second yeah. twin and they can always <laughs> Hello, I've got someone who will take that baby. <laughs> I think I was strictly, well, I grew up in a family of four kids and so did my husband. And so I think I always wanted three or four when I was younger. And then as I've gotten older, I've been like, oh, two. But as soon as I gave birth to Ray, I was like, how can I stop just at one more? So I totally share that sentiment of like my head probably wants two, but my heart probably wants three. And oh, it is sad, as it. you say, that if it comes to finances, because that is oh, a really so thing. sad. But things yeah. are also really, really easy for us at the moment. We've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and they're just the best. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they have their moments, but generally speaking, they, they're just so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I should be throwing a baby back into that mess. So from the outside looking in, I'm like, you've done the hard stuff. Yeah. You need a break. Yes. That can be a real challenge, I think, once your kids get that, like a little bit more independent, obviously, they still rely on you, but it's different and there's more of, I guess, a routine around it as opposed to a one-year-old. So, yeah, it's a really interesting thing that a lot of people face. We need one of those houses with the bridge. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jess, going back to the post that I was talking about that Vaughn put up, what do you value most about having someone like Vaughn in your life that hasn't yet become a mother <laughs> herself in the traditional or, you know, specific um, sense of mothering? So I love that I've always got someone to have a wine with. Like I don't have <laughs> to worry actually about huge plus. <laughs> my kids' bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Napping schedules can really yeah. keep yeah. them away during your day. <laughs> so it's actually very selfish, but it's really <laughs> wonderful that she, you know, we 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 don't have to worry about bedtimes and, and breastfeeding and all of that. Yeah. Um, but I also I think I'm really I've been really lucky with Vaughn. A lot of my other friends without kids. I don't know. They, it's definitely not intentional, but, you know, you say that the mums don't let you in mm. as much. Mm. So maybe this is a bigger conversation we need to be having because mm. I feel I feel like, and I might be projecting, but I feel like the slog, like the daily mm. shit that you witness is really boring for a lot of people mm. that don't have mm. And so I don't want to be like, come over, but also my kids are going to be eating dinner and there's going to be, you know, bedtime mm. chaos and I'm going to be distracted because... I have to deal, tend to them and you at the same time. Mm. and You almost feel guilty for it sometimes, don't both you? Both ways. Mm. I feel guilty to my kids and I feel guilty mm. to my friends. And so we just, I end up, you know, I see my childless friends occasionally at mm. social gatherings, but they're not in my life the way that Vaughn is. Mm. Um, and we're just, that's it. It comes down to like, we're not used to sitting in that like mundanity. And that's like, mm. I, I hear mums talk about sometimes how, boring like yeah. having a baby like 
you literally mm. there sometimes and you're literally just watching like, the paint dry. Yes. You know? But yes. There's a beauty to that that you just get to mm. be who you are and I get to witness it all and I love it. Like, yeah. I'm like oh, if yeah. we're not chatting, I'm just doing something yeah. or chatting to She's so unfazed, like no matter what I have to do, she just... You know, she's so unfazed by all of it. But then I think about all my friends who are mums, and I think all of them do have at least one friend without mm-hmm. kids. And maybe, maybe that is all we need. Maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a whole. Like I've got my community, a very strong community of mums, and there are different clusters of communities as well. Um, and then I've got born, and and I've got so many friends without kids. It's just they're not as involved in my mm-hmm. life. I think yeah. as well sometimes like sleep beforehand would honestly have been the most boring thing me hearing about two friends talking about their baby's sleep now obviously it's such a big part of my life my friend and I even the other night were having a drink with a friend without a baby yet and she was like oh my god I'm listening to us and I'm so bored I'm so sorry and she's like no it's fine but you do carry that guilt of like oh my god this now is such a big part of my life but it's so boring for the most part to the outside it doesn't mean that they don't care but Andy and I, before we, before we had Louis, we were here. So we were living in Berlin. We were back here visiting, you know, family and friends and stuff. And some of the most interesting people I know had had children. And they were sitting there talking about which teat was better for a sleeper. <laughs> and Andy and I were like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like you had such better conversations before this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's all consuming when you're a parent. And I guess maybe, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a, maybe that pushes people away as well, just mm. having like, how boring. Mm, how boring. It's a tricky one. When I was trying and it wasn't quite happening yet, I remember my girlfriends with newborns were talking about breastfeeding and they weren't being rude, they weren't being selfish, they weren't mm. being thoughtless, but I was just sitting there like, we're seriously talking about this. Like I'm literally trying and you're just sitting here talking about breastfeeding and your babies. And that's not on them. That's on me. But maybe it is part of this bigger conversation that we need to be yeah. having of how to how to let each other in and how to not feel guilt or resentment exactly. on the side of the fence. Yeah. yeah. That's a really interesting point. And you guys have such a unique relationship for that because, Vaughn, you're so invested in how families work, which is probably quite a unique angle. And, yes, you're so willing to let Vaughn in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is also, I'm invested in it and I love it. And it's just like my life now, but I also, mm. it's been my bread and butter for years as well. Like yeah. The more I learn, yeah. the more I can pass on to my families. And I've been a doula now for like nearly eight years. So it's like, mm. okay, that's just become my life, but totally. Mm. Um, but I think it is about a women, especially constantly have felt guilted about every single thing every in their lives because of the patriarchy yeah. forever. Um, mm. But also that people that aren't yet in that position could take it as a learning curve so that, you know, when they step into motherhood, if they want to, or if they want to just step in and help friends that are mothers, they can do it practically because they've seen it before. Mm, It's so interesting. Even as you're saying this, I'm thinking of like, after I gave birth, I was like, how do most people in the world do this? Like, this is huge. Yet it's meant to be like this mundane everyday Um. thing. I'm like the weight, yeah. And I'm like the weight of responsibility. I remember, like, yeah. I remember when my baby's blue, baby blue sat in. I was like looking out to the bay, like this beautiful sunny afternoon. The sun was setting, and I was just like, "What have I done?" And not because yeah. I didn't want this to happen, but I was just like, the weight of responsibility and love is huge. Yeah. Yet we make it out to me this mundane, normal thing that you shouldn't really talk about, which mm. probably makes that wall between mother and maiden yeah. mm. get even bigger. So that's really interesting. Jess, can you share some of the highs and lows of being a working parent with us? Yes, absolutely. So I think my family situation is quite unique in that after I had Louis, I I, I wrote a book while I was pregnant with him and then I got got a a job ghostwriting for someone else and then I got my second book deal and... All of that was happening in Berlin and Andy was working and Louis was just at home with me and I could do all of this work with Louis underfoot. Um, And then we moved back here and I did my third book of my own with this time with Jude underfoot while Louis was at daycare. And that was all really wonderful, but it also led to burnout because what it often meant is that I was writing books in stolen time. So Andy would always swoop in where he could in Berlin. But once we were here in Melbourne and he was working at a salon, he couldn't just come home on his lunch break so I could do something and he could take the child to the playground. It was sort mm-hmm. of all me. And, you know, 
um, when I got Juden to daycare two days a week, if he was sick one of those days, it mm-hmm. left me with no time to get anything done. So it was really hard. And Andy decided that he doesn't want to be a hairdresser anymore because hairdressers work weekends and really long nights. And he realized that once our children go to school, he'll only see them on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So he decided to study teaching. He's going to become a teacher, a primary school teacher. His whole family teaches. So it makes sense. They're the most calm, patient, beautiful Very people. Teachers. So when Mama Goodness was picking up and my doula work was picking up, Andy decided to stop working. So he became the main carer of our children. and I I love hearing this. It's such a great insight. It's been so interesting because in the past, I would have said he's always the calm one and I'm the more fiery one. And I noticed such a big shift. Like he's the one dealing with having to tell the children three times to put their shoes on. Mm -hmm. He's the one that has to deal with, you know, all those little things that are just so frustrating as a parent. And I see him, he's grumpier than me now. He's the one that I'm like, don't you yell at our children. Um, <laughs> and because, you know, he has to tell them for the upteenth time to do whatever it is that needs to be done. Eat your breakfast, get dressed, brush your teeth, whatever it is, come and let me brush your teeth, whatever it is. Mm. Um, he And so that's been really interesting just as a, to look at our situation objectively. And like, even when it was Jude's third birthday party, he was the one who was stressed. You know, usually it's the mum who's, and I was the one doing the, the food and the cake and everything. Yeah. But because he's dealing with so much of this on on a day-to-day basis, he was the stressed one. And it was really, it's been really interesting to observe. I've gone off tangent. What was that? <laughs> I actually, I want to stay with that for a bit longer because yeah. I think that comes back to like these gendered norms that we create that like mums and women are grumpy and angry and stressed. <laughs> Your dads come in and they're like, woo, I'm back from work. Let's let's party, kids. Yeah. And you're trying to calm them down. But really, it actually just shows how stressful and full on it is being the primary caregiver. It's it not really about women is. versus men. It's mm. about the roles and how stressful they can be. Yeah. It's been really interesting for me as well to like some days, you know, especially when we were cooking, I'd get home from the kitchen. And if we were doing two days in a row of cooking, I would be catatonic afterwards and I'd come home and all I would want to do is just scroll on my phone and just like tap out and (laughs) I look back at when Andy would work these long days and I'd be looking at the clock waiting for him to get home so I could just pass a baby to him Mm, that last hour is hell and, and the you know it's seen as very selfish if a dad comes home and needs to sit outside and have a beer or sit on his phone or play video games or whatever it is that a dad needs to do to sort of or go for a run, whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Now that I've I've experienced both sides and I can see how important it is for the working parent to just have a bit of decompression time. Um, That's really interesting. Of, there's a lot of guilt and I noticed Jude, my youngest, has really struggled with me being away from home as much as I have been. I actually, not that I regret, mama goodness, but I do regret mm-hmm. how much I was away from him so young mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's definitely caused a bit of an overattachment situation. Um, whereas when, you know, we just had two weeks in New Zealand together, I was with him every waking moment of every single day and he was so much more relaxed. Mm. Um, God, there's no bloody winning really. Is there? Really, like... isn't. really isn't. And, you know, I, I put my children to bed every night and I lay with them until they fall asleep because it's some days the only time they get with me. Um, and I choose to do workouts in the morning while Andy's getting them ready for school and, on one hand, I feel really selfish because I'm not there for breakfast and making lunches and doing drop-offs, but it's actually also easier for them because they get really upset if I do drop-off. Mm-hmm. They they cry and get clingy. And so it's so this is you constantly what's right reconciling what's right. Yeah. so many yeah. different emotions and guilt and trying to it doesn't matter what I said this to Andy, it doesn't matter what I do, I feel guilty. Mm. I've been thinking about this so much because I'm starting to look at what return to work looks like. As I was saying to you, I had this pretty romantic idea of maybe I can freelance, but now I'm realizing how expensive our mortgage is and all of that. And I think I do have to go back to work, but we also live in Rye, so we're just over an hour out of the CBD. And I was thinking, so if I work three or four days a week and say I go into the office two days a week, that's two whole days that I'm going to leave before Ray wakes up and get home after Ray goes to sleep. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm going to feel pretty good, I think, going back to work in a sense of having that time away. But two full days a week where I don't see him feels awful. And I don't know where the winning is in that because if I freelance, then we're going to have more financial stress. 
Mm. Yeah, and it's so hard, isn't it? It's yeah. just I don't think there's really an answer. It's just us all talking about it and normalizing it and hopefully yeah. structures continue to improve to make it easier for parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So for both of you, what are your biggest tips for bringing an idea or a small business to life? I guess I guess the most important thing, I've, I've heard this before from someone else, but you need to believe in the idea mm. and it needs, you need to believe in it so much that you feel bad for people if they don't buy what you're offering. Mm. And I think we both had that. Yeah. We knew that absolutely. what we were putting into the world, even it though it central. absolutely killed us, you know, doing an organic mm. meal delivery service, don't even get me started on how hard it was to <laughs> source everything we needed. Um, through COVID, through COVID, where a lot of organic produce comes from overseas and thank, thank God everyone was so understanding. And was um, that your first experience of like commercial level of cooking? Because yes. before that I imagine it was more... You know, a cookbook would have been more sort of, I guess. Oh yeah, you know, just a bit more of a natural. That I made for dinner. <laughs> yeah, but like that's that's a huge scale. Well, I did grow up, so my mum has always been in food, and so I've sort of watched her, um, mm. whether it's a granola business or whether it's a chili and relish business or whatever it is. I've sort of watched her a little bit. She's got two commercial mm. at her home. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and she's owned cafes and catering businesses and stuff in the past. So I've sort of not that I've worked in it and known that known the inner workings of her businesses, but I've watched it enough for it to be kind of normalized for me, if that makes sense. Mm. I think retrospectively, we started Mama Goodness at such a difficult, like the first commercial kitchen that we rented, we basically walked into, it was in, it was in a really great um, sort of co-working space and there was businesses there that were going to provide mentoring to us. And then lockdown happened and we were literally the only people in the entire space besides Hillary, like a yeah. wonderful food critic writer and yeah we sort of didn't get that mentoring I think retrospectively like we kind of just like we're in survival mode we were flying by the seat of our pants for a lot of it the the foundations of just like hospitality community didn't exist for a lot Mm. of our business and we also had no financial backing I look at my goodness and I look at what we could have done if we'd had like say an angel investor who invested 100k into our business it would have been entirely different Mm. because we would have had so much more time we would have had a marketing budget we would have had mm-hmm. the finances to hire a chef so that we could be working on the parts mm-hmm. of things that we wanted to be working on I just it's yeah if you can get an investor that would <laughs> right. right. you know like my brother just, often and I was like I don't want to I don't want to mix yeah. family with business you know that sort of thing and mm. yeah it, it's it's difficult I think yes yeah, some mentoring yeah. and financial support absolutely but mm. It was also kind of cool. Like we've had so many people reach out to us over the years. Like it took so long to establish where the hell do we get each individual piece of product to create our, our labels, our trays, our compostable trays, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. We could literally write a course on how to do all of that and then some people literally just slide into your DMs and they're like, can you tell me where you got that? Like I'm starting up the same food business and it's like, oh, wow, like <laughs> – yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> those a hundred hours of my time. If you yeah, could yeah. Me. Um, it's hard because we want to help people and we don't feel any competition when it comes to other people starting food delivery businesses. And I actually do think sometimes I say to Vaughn, I wish we kept it small and just mm. done like a maximum of 10 packs per week, but mm. then we didn't. So it's fine. There are doors out there now who are doing smaller scale meal deliveries. And I look at that and I do think that is a better model. Mm. especially if you can be cooking from your home kitchen, like if you get your home kitchen certified um, because it takes away that massive overhead. Complementing that, we had to change our business model to go frozen from oh, fresh yeah. food to go Victoria-wide. So mm. I think the That's lovely... That's actually where the joy went, right? Yeah. Like that took all the joy out. The home cooking, beautiful, nourishing, fresh food. Where and we, had would... our, we had our botanical cuisine dips mm. and we had the bread fresh and everything. Bread. It just... It changed so much once we went frozen, but we had mm-hmm. to go frozen to be able to deliver to grow and Victoria wide. And in hindsight, we should have just said, no, we deliver within 10 Ks of mm. wherever we yeah. were and just sort of kept it that way. Um, mm. but so you I almost need to like prioritize your passions versus scaling too and figure out what works. Yeah. Scaling is hard. Hear it from everyone. And also I was, we've been, it's, it's this funny catch 22 of not making the business not making enough money to pay us a full-time wage. Mm. So we have to work other jobs to sustain ourselves and our families. 
So that leaves very little time to be doing courses and seeking out a mentor and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. As you said earlier, flying by the seat of our pants a lot of the time. And that creativity as well, which is, I imagine, what inspired the business hugely. If you don't have time for that creativity, it sort of takes all the life out of what you're trying to achieve. Totally. And I love the idea of doing it all over again with someone behind us Mm -hmm. and us sort of being like I would love to be the creative director of a meal delivery business mm. and you would be like the the nutrition advisor totally um and someone else has got this money and backing and drive like it mm. yeah ne- look never say never if anyone listens to this <laughs> and wants to chat because so, so we're looking for an angel investor and a meal delivery business that wants to hire these two for anyone else <laughs> I have one more question for you both and that is what's in store for mama goodness this year is it focusing on your products range in the shop and also getting more wholesalers is it focusing on all the media around the book and getting that out into the world what's next well we've called it the year of the cookie so I guess for mama goodness cookies is the big thing we might be working on another flavor Mm -hmm. at the moment yeah maybe and Vaughn's got a couple of other teas in the pipelines Um, we've got we've got a few product ideas and we just haven't been able to do all of that while doing the food side of the business Um, we'd also really like to get a distributor so that we can have our cookies. And like I did an Instagram post recently and asked people to tell me their favorite organic supermarkets where they'd like us to be stocked. And I then went and contacted every single place and no one, no one wrote back to me. And I'm just like, what have I done wrong? Like how, what could I have done differently? And I think maybe. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe with the book coming out, it might create a bit more brand awareness. But also I do think the book is us. Mm. Yeah. It's not mama goodness. Mm. I think it'll be, it'll be, I say I'm touching it right now. It's, um, That's your baby. Keep looking over it. Third <laughs> baby. This is our, yeah, this is our baby. Yeah. And mm. the cookies, I think, so I think we'll be doing both. We'll be doing cookies. The year of the cookie yeah. is in full swing. Mm. Um, but we'll also be hopefully getting a lot more media and press on book on i'm book. sure you will yeah. it looks beautiful i actually have one more question for you did the publishers come to you or did you go to them they that came happen? to us but i had a pre-existing relationship with of them. course you'd already yeah. published three books i forgot yeah, that so i'd done i'd done three cookbooks with hardy grant uk but i happen to be very good friends with alice hardy grant who she works for hardy grant here in in australia and yeah, it just, it was just, again, so, one of those things that was such a natural prog- progression. Um, we wrote our pitch. It made so much sense for us to be doing this book. And yeah, um, yeah, here we are. I've absolutely loved talking to you both. Before we go, where can people find your businesses and also both of you online? All right, so we're mamagoodness.com.au, mamagoodness, M-A-M-A, goodness, mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um I'm Vaughn Geary, my name Vaughn.geary on Instagram and .com. I'm Jessica Prescott, Jessica underscore Prescott underscore. Vaughn's <laughs> <laughs> um, got a website. Yeah. I'm working on a website. Just, it's so hard when you do so many things like I do. I'm like, how do I sum up everything I do? Mm. <laughs> One website, but I'm I'm getting there. Um, I'm not sure when this is going to go live, but hopefully by the time it goes live, I'll have a jessicaprescott.com.au um, excellent to see all the things that we offer and life after birth I imagine that's at all all good book sell- sellers yeah. as of now yeah 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 um, amazing and then the online ones as well and we also sell it on our website well thank you so much I've absolutely loved learning from you both and I think the listeners will too thank Thanks you so much for, for having, having us. us thanks for listening to ready or not If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great thing. This week it's Laundry Gallery, a creative hub located in Darwin. Housed in a reimagined iconic 70s era laundromat, It represents modern iterations of Indigenous art and culture, providing an accessible pathway for age-old stories to coexist with the modern world. You can check out their beautiful art and more by searching Laundry Gallery on Instagram, online or in person in Darwin. That's all for today. See you next time.